It's a real privilege to be here today again, and um, the title, if we'd like to put it, of this, uh, this little message this morning is uh, Light It Up, and uh, some of you would instantly probably be thinking of cigarettes and things like that, but no, that is not what the theme is about, all right? So, uh, but this, 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 is, this is the title, and we're straight into this first slide here, and uh, it's a picture of a bivouac. I don't know what you used to do when you were young or, or, or maybe when you went through school, but when I went through school as a young fella, we'd always go on school camps. So we'd all get together, usually about 13 years old, maybe 15, depending on what camp it was and what year. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the bushcrafts, they used to call it, because in New Zealand they call bush bush. Evidently overseas they call bush a forest or some other sort of you know, some, some other sort of name. But in bush, when you go into New Zealand bush, you realise it is bush because you can't walk through freely like between, you know, a set of uh, uh, pine trees and that side of things where there's heaps of room to move. So anyway, one of the bushcrafts they used to teach us was survival. So what happened if you got caught out on a night in the bush by yourself or maybe there's a group of you, you've gone on a tramp or a walk somewhere and all of a sudden the weather sets in. Now, in the past, when New Zealand used to have tourists, um, obviously there's not a lot going on now, but many times over the years I've seen tourists that have actually died overnight in New Zealand conditions because they're used to stable conditions in their country where generally if it's sunny, it's sunny, if it's raining, if it's raining, if it's snowing, it's snowing. But in New Zealand, all of that happens in the same day. So anything's possible and you've got to be prepared. So we used to build these little these little huts and all that, all, you can imagine all us 13-year-olds breaking branches and getting together and we'd usually use the, the, the panga ferns and put it over the, uh, over the top of this sort of wooden structure that we'd build and then the challenge was we actually had to crawl inside it and see if it actually survived the night, which was always the big challenge, right? Because I mean half the time if you didn't do it right and there was wind, or maybe it started raining over the night. There'd be rain that would come in. The wind might knock it over a bit or blow some of the, the foliage off the edge of the booth. And, um, yeah, so this was part of, part of my upbringing. And the interesting thing is, is uh, when I started looking at today's message, um, which we're talking about the light of the world, hence the, 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 the um, title, Light It Up, um, where Jesus stood up and said those famous words, is that preceding this, this whole event, Jerusalem, or the Jewish people, they used to celebrate basically three major feasts in the year, right? I call it the trifecta. I don't know if anyone knows what that means, but when I was a young fellow, I remember my friend's dad won the trifecta, betting on horses. And, uh, and the reason I remember this is because he brought a brand new dinghy an aluminium dinghy and had a little five horsepower motor and we used to go duck shooting on the back of this dinghy. So that's why I remember it on the Waikato River. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, that, the, they had this trifecta of, of uh, feasts that they used, their main feasts they used to celebrate. And, uh, and if we're in John chapter 7, we see that they're celebrating one of these major feasts, which is called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths or Bivouacs. This is how we say it down here. If you're in Australia, you'd say, ah, oh, it's a bivy, mate. You know, they, that's what they call it in Australia. Um, but in New Zealand, we call it a bivouac. And, uh, and that's what they used to do. And basically, the essence of, of what they used to do over, over this feast was they celebrated God's goodness, God's protection, God's walking with the Israelites during their 40 years of exile 
when they came out of Egypt over the Red Sea and went on their way to the Promised Land. So they had 40 years, and they'd celebrate this feast once a year, which was called the Feast of Boops, or the Feast of Bivies, as uh, the Australians would call it. And so this went over seven days, and it was an incredible time. Let me just get my notes so I don't get this wrong. Uh, It was an incredible time uh, of great celebration. It was uh, what I'd like to call almost like the rock, you know, it was almost like going to a rock concert. I don't know what your background is or where you've been, but when I grew up as a teenager, you know, often we'd go to some some big um, concert. And, uh, and it was always a big event, because I used to live in Hamilton, the concerts were never here, they were always in Auckland, usually Western Springs or Mount Smart, and uh, I always remember, can we knock on the next slide? Um, I always remember um, going to this concert with Genesis, now this is in the 80s, keep in mind, I'm an old geezer, right? But at that time, Genesis, uh, Phil Collins was the lead singer, he used to do most of his stuff off the drums, right, and sing from, and play on the drums, which is pretty impressive. And they were the first band, and they invested in all of this lighting, and it was the first time in the history of lighting and stages that lights actually followed the people when they moved around the stage. Now, these days, it's like, wow, that's such a big thing. Back in then, it was a huge thing, because they were all static, the lights. If a light pointed that way, that's where it lit up. But they, they had the special lighting rig, and it would... And it would uh, track the person that was moving on stage, the lead singer or the bass player and that sort of things. So it, during this feast, this feast of booths, the reason I mention this is there was this great celebration that had over seven days. Everyone would stay in the booths at night, then they'd go uh, during the day and, and sleep in them overnight. And then what they'd do is they'd go up to the temple and uh, they used to light these huge candabrillas or these huge... Uh, lights, basically, which were, were if, if we flick to the next slide, um, they were basically the size of this lighthouse here. Now, it's, basically, it's 23 metres high, this lighthouse. This is in New Zealand at a place called Castle Point. And if you've never been there, to me, it's one of the wonders of New Zealand. It's an incredible place. But it, uh, um, if you're standing at the base of the lighthouse, it's actually quite a, you know, when you think about 23 metres up in the air, that is a high, that, that, that's a high lamp. And uh, so what, what they used to do is the priests would like, they had four of these massive candabrillas or menorahs, as we'd call them if you're in the Jewish space, and they had these big oil-fed lamps that were 23 metres high in the temple. So you could imagine that as they went up to light these lamps, that it would just light up all of Jerusalem. It would light up all of the temple and, ma- and, and it would be this massive uh, feature, this massive highlight of the feast each night. And the incredible thing is, is uh, we have this term this day called upcycling, which is when you take something that's old and recycle or maybe reuse it, like you might have an old table and rather than throw it out to the dump, you'd reuse it. And guess what they used on these lampstands? They used the priests' robes. They would wrap up and use them as the wicks that they light, that they lit for the actual uh, lamps in this place. So they were doing upcycling over 2,000 years ago. How cool is that? So it's not a new term after all. The Jewish people perhaps even started it. I don't know. But (laughs) I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, So they had all of these lamps going. It was blazing. And at that time, this was um, actually in in the area of the temple called the Court of the Woman. And I'm not 100% sure why they had it in the Court of the Woman. Perhaps it was Judah, um, Eve, 
partaking of the apple in the garden, of, and perhaps women needed a little bit more light in their life. I'm not, that's obviously joking. <laughs> There's no biblical truth to that. But anyway, um, they set all of this up in this quarter woman. And uh, the lights were blazing, and then, you know, in the Jewish tradition back then, they often kept things a bit separate, and the men danced, but evidently the woman didn't during this festival. So um, this is how, the, you know, and they dance all night under these, these incredible lights. I don't know what the woman did. Any ideas? I don't know. There's a few women here. I could, yeah, eating maybe, yeah. Perhaps a little bit of knitting or something. I'm not sure. Probably not, probably not. And anyway, so the men got up there, did their dance, you know, I don't know. This is about the only dance I know. And the running man, you remember the running man? This is for Pastor Ants, he's down the back. Yeah, oh yeah. And um, I do a little bit of, a few other dances, but they're pretty ugly. Um, so the men danced all night, and you can imagine what they did at this time is they, they would quote scriptures out, well-known scriptures that were out of the Old Testament. And when we think of light, uh, we think of arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. You know, we think about uh, Psalm chapter 119 where it says, you know, thy word uh, I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, there's all of these scriptures throughout the Old Testament where it talked about light. And so they would speak out these scriptures that came to mind and dance and basically party all night. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm up for a party. Anyone like partying here? I'm talking to about 10 people, mainly on the stream team. Anyone like partying stream team? Yeah, there's a little bit of parties out here. <laughs> Puru was the loudest, by the way. And uh, I'm like, you're very loud, lady, Puru. I love it. And um, you need all the encouragement you can in an empty room, don't you? So anyway, so this is, this is what they used to do. They used to party like this. They'd, they'd get amongst it, all right? They'd celebrate this transition of 40 years. They'd stay in the booths or these bivouacs. And, uh, and a lot of it was, the, it was all about that the Lord was present. He was with the Israelites in the, in the, in the desert and in a tented temple, as we know, that they built, which they called the tabernacle, hence the Feast of Tabernacles or Boops or Bivouacs. And it cel- the, main, the main essence of this feast, what it celebrated, uh, his presence as he tabernacles or dwells within us. So it's this picture, even right back then, it was this picture of God tabernacling with us, coming into the booth of our life, coming into the center of who we are, bringing some clarity to what this life's all about. Because this has always been the maker's plan. It's never been to be a distant God. It's never, been to, it's never been about you have to earn in your way into heaven, having to do this, 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 and this before this almighty God will receive you as a mere human. You know, it's never been about that. He has always wanted to tabernacle. He's, al- he's always wanted to get in the bivouac with us, to bivouac with us out in the midst of the New Zealand bush, all right? I mean, th- this is God, and we are the tabernacle. We are this bivouac. We are this place where he wants to invade, not invade from the perspective of taking over and dominate, but invade to bring true life, to bring true light into our lives. Now, we see in this, in this, uh, in this little uh, part here, after they've done all the dancing and the singing and everything like that, after seven days, which the feast went for, um, the priests would get up and they would extinguish these lights. Now, there's a thought in itself. I mean, I was reading this thinking, 23 metres up in there, what, what, how did they do this? You know, did they have some sort of you know, cherry picker or some sort of you know, expansion form or... 
You know, did they each get on each other's shoulders or did they have a ladder 23 metres high and that was the job of the junior priest, right? You're holding the ladder, don't move away. <laughs> I've got to put this lamp out. I mean, it's a crazy thought. When you think about that lighthouse there, right? You imagine having a ladder up the side of that lighthouse to put the light out or take the garment of the priest each night, uh, the old garment, and put it in there and set up the oil and get it, get it glowing. So anyway, that's just a little thing that went on in my head when I was just <laughs> getting, this, getting this word together. Um, so the priests on the last day, they would go up and they would extinguish these lights, right? And I think the challenge for us is that you know, in the midst of the joy, in the midst of the, of the, of the partying that we do in, as a Christian, or even back then, before, this pre-Christian time where they connected with God, um, is that, you know, it does come to an end. It does come to this place where the darkness arrives again. And we see, it's the interesting thing is Jesus, the name above all names, he was loitering around Jerusalem at this time, as we know. And, uh, and, and they, they say that just at, the next day after this feast finished is that there's this very famous piece in Scripture where we see uh, he came, came into the temple early, it said, in the morning, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees brought this woman that was called in the act of adultery. And, uh, and, and of course, we know how that story goes and that, you know, Jesus said, hey, who... who has not sinned, cast the first stone, because under the law, you know, adultery was, uh, you know, you could stone someone to death, right? Everyone left. The older people left first, because usually older people are wiser. That's for any young people watching this today. Older people generally know a bit more. And uh, until there's no one left. And then he said, hey, do you see any accusers here? Go your way and sin no more. Then the very next, uh, the near, very next stage of this is Jesus stood up again. And he proclaimed these almighty words, which are probably some of the most well-known words in the Bible, and said, Behold, I am the light of the world. Anyone who comes to me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Light of life, sorry. Um, and I love this. You know, Jesus, I don't know about you, but Jesus steps into situations, and it's not very often that it's a suitable time for him to step into the situation. Um, I know in my life over the years, um, you know, let, let's put it this way. Um, can we whip up the next slide, please, Ants? Um, he's driving the projector today, so let's see if he's onto it. Five, four, he's trying to find how to turn the computer on. Can he do it? I don't know. He's talking to someone back there. But anyway, uh, Jesus will step into situations, and it's not necessarily the most comfortable time for us, for him to step into the situation. This was one of those times, you know. He stood up, the great celebration, the great feast that had happened for seven days had finished, and he had come in on the back of this, and he said, you know, he said, behold, I am the light. All of the seven days of partying and celebration is pretty cool, but you want the real light. I am the real light. I am the one you're after. And uh, and, and I, I love the thought, I don't I'm not sure how it works in your life, but I think we've all got someone that steps into our life sometimes at appropriate timing or maybe, maybe timing that's a bit scary. But I've got this, this person that I flat with called Simon Billingham. Simon, how are you, buddy? I don't know if you're online today. You probably are. And um, 
But, you know, he steps into situations where, like, I'll be coming out, I've woken up in the morning, I'm out of bed, still half asleep, and he'll be sitting there silently at the table, and it's, whoa, what's, what's going on here? You know, it's like that shock factor. Or I'll be walking somewhere, maybe into the lounge or something, not thinking anyone's even in the house, and Simon's sitting there or just walking or looking, and, whoa, give, you know, just, it's sort of like, and this is, and this is the sort of, and I think we all have people like that in our lives. Puru, would you agree with that? Who does that in your family? Ants does. All right, there's always one in each family, eh, where you sort of, you're not expecting it. They just, oh, what are you doing here? You're not meant to be here. <laughs> and they usually got a smile. They usually got a smile on their face, eh, and you're half asleep and, or whatever, you know. But Jesus, you know, this is, this is what I love about Jesus, is he steps into situations, not necessarily when we want him to step into situations, and he speaks truth to the situation. And this is a truth statement here. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, in John 20, 25, catch this. It says, they told him, we have seen the Lord. This is talking to Thomas now. I'm just having a little segue here, just into a different part. Uh, Because Thomas didn't see Jesus after he rose from the dead, all right? And, but he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them. I mean, this, Thomas was an extreme guy. He needed to, you know, he needed to experience things to believe it, right? I put my fingers in his side, in the wound in his side. And then eight days later, the disciples were together again. And at this time, Thomas was with them, right? He missed seeing Jesus the first time. I'm sharing this just to tie it into what we're talking with, uh, about today. And suddenly, here's the suddenly moment. Here's the Jesus standing up. Behold, you know, whoa, what are you doing there, Jesus? Why are you talking about this light thing? Here's the suddenly moment again where Jesus steps into a situation, in this case, Thomas's situation, where he hadn't seen the risen Jesus. He doubted. He said, no, nah, unless I can put my fingers into his side, do this type of thing, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus steps into this room. All the doors were locked, it says, And so there was no way to physically come into the room outside of walk through a wall or come through a roof. So I'm not sure how it works, but I do know that in Revelation 3.20 it says, Behold, I am the door. Um, You know, uh, so maybe Jesus is the door, so he just sort of doors on in wherever he needs to get into. I don't know. But the reason I say this and segue into the story about Thomas is that I believe, you know, each of us have, have situations in our life where it can be challenging, right? You may be in the seat of the skeptic, for example, at the moment. Maybe you've been going to church for a while. You're just going through the doldrums. When I say going to church, I mean online, of course. Um, maybe for you, it's you literally need, to, need a peace be with you moment. Because this is what Jesus said when he came in. He said, peace be with you. Because everyone would have been freaking out, all right? Let's be honest right now. If someone walks into the room and there's no way of getting into that room, you, you're freaking out a bit at that, right? It doesn't matter who it is. You'd be, whoa, what's happening here? You know, it's like the ninja, like Simon Billingham shocking you when you walk into the room. Like Ant shocking Pottle when, uh, I don't know how he shocks. What do you do there? Ants is laughing in the background. We won't ask any more questions, but anyway, it can be shocking. I know what it's like. You know, do we need that put your finger here moment? Because this is what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, Thomas, put your finger here. And, you know, the question to each of us today is, do we need that type of moment? Do we need that peace, with you, peace be with you, put your finger here moment to bring some reality 
into who Jesus Christ is in our life. Um, can we knock on to uh, Revelations 2, 1 and 5? I'm not sure if the slides are still working, but if they're not, that's all cool. This is the angel talking uh, to, the, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So Jesus is talking to uh, John in the book of Revelation. And catch this. this. This this is quite, you know, to me, it's a challenge to me, and I'm sure it will be to all of us, but it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, if we stop, if we stop that there, I mean, what an incredible church. I mean, this church is rocking. They're stopping false doctrine coming in. They're working hard. They're doing all of these things that you think as Christians you should be doing, right? And then, then we see yet... You know, it's the holy but, as we've heard many times before. It's this, yet I hold this against you, that you have forsaken the love that you had at first. I mean, you know, this, this word's to all of us. Whenever I'm speaking, I'm speaking to myself, you know. And I think as, as someone that does a little bit of speaking, you know, you filter, you, you know, you take it quite personally because you're speaking about things and you're thinking, man, where am I in my life right now? You know, am I walking? Am I just doing the hard graft? but I've lost the first love. And can I say this? If you are in that situation, perhaps you do feel that you've become a bit flat. You know, how do you know that you've lost your first love? How do you know that you've lost this light of God in your life? And I would always say this, look back to a time in your life when you knew that you were in love with God. Maybe that's when you are first born again. Maybe it was a, a season in your life where God broke through and, and, and cause, cause victory in an area you're challenged with. Maybe it was just the sustaining power of God keeping you in there through a time of sickness or brokenness or divorce or, or whatever it may be, being re made redundant. Maybe it was a time where, um, you know, you're struggling to pay the rent or, you know, your business is, is semi-failing because there's no money coming in. Maybe it's right now. Maybe you're in the situation right now. And can I say to you, just get before God, cry out to God, be, pray the prayer of David, you know, create in me a clean heart. You know, can't, you know take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, you know, pray, pr get back into God, get back into God, because he is the answer for you in, in your situation, and the answer for me, in my, as he has been for many times over the years um, in my life. Perhaps it's a beach situation. I, I like this here. Once again, Jesus just stepping into the situation, all right? Stepping into the situation. Um, like he did when the disciples had got a bit depressed because Jesus had, you know, ascended into heaven and they'd gone out fishing, right? That was Peter's idea. Oh, let's go out fishing. You know, you know how you go, they, they talk about a dog returning back to its own vomit, you know? Uh, that's which is a, a gross way of saying things. Um, but I think that's actually in the book of Proverbs from memory. But... Um, you know, often when you're going through a time where you're a bit depressed or you're a bit down or you're a bit broken, you'll go back to the things you used to know. And I know, I'm speaking from experience, I've done a bit of that in my life too. And Jesus calls out from the beach. They didn't know it was Jesus. 
and he yells out from the beach, you know, um, <laughs> which, I, which I love. And, and, he, and, he, and he, he yells out to them and sta- while he's standing on the beach and says, hey, throw the net out the other side. And, and just before that, he calls, hey, my children. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? I mean, is this bad translation or is this Jesus just taking the mickey of these guys while they're already depressed in this boat? They haven't caught any fish all night either, even though they're seasoned fishermen. And uh, to me, you know, it's a little bit of that picture like when you're driving, and I know this is not a relative illustration because there's not a lot of traffic on the road, but you're driving down the road and all the traffic's going that way into town. You know, if you've ever lived in Auckland, you, you know what I'm talking about right now. Maybe you're driving out, you know, out west and it's rush hour traffic. Everyone's going into town and you're sort of driving along and sometimes you can't help it, but you just wind the window down and you're just waving and smiling. You know, I almost sense it's, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's waving and smiling. How's it going, children? You know? Hey, why don't you cast the net over the other side of the boat? Um, you know, I, I don't know. That's what I think in my mind anyway. And I'm sure he was a lot more holy and, you know, sensible in this situation. But I think there's a bit of sarcasm in this as well by Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus knew how to laugh, but then he knew how to get to the point. Then obviously he said, cast the net over the other side and they got more fish than they could get into the boat, right? So the question is, maybe doing it your way is not working anymore. Are you tired of carrying the weight of unfulfilled promises? Um, you know, maybe, I, I mean, I, I use this illustration often. I used to do quite a bit of hunting, but I never ever shot anything. So the, 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 uh, the joke became uh, I was going on a tramp with a rifle, and, uh, <laughs> which literally what it was. I saw animals but never shot anything. I was a useless hunter, basically. It wasn't my calling. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, you know, are you sick of doing the same old thing and not getting the results? You know, maybe you're at a time where you need to start tabernacling with God, bivouacking with God, letting the light of God come into your life to get breakthrough in those areas. Maybe you've been doing it in your own strength. And, you know, sooner or later, if it's in your own strength, you're going to run out of strength. You know, this is the thing. We need to walk in the strength of God. And the only way we can do that is is let his light come into into our life. Let his life come into us. Um, look, in, just in closing, we live in this age of technology right now. We've got these smartphones. Look, I'm reading all, all out of here at the moment. This is, this is, you know, it's incredible. It even sizes it for older eyes, so it's bigger font, you know, in, in, in the Microsoft Word app, which is in OneDrive. Um, you know, the, these phones, they dim, they, you know, they adjust according to the light. You turn on the flashlights. I mean, we have power in our homes. We have power going through our headlights in our cars. So light is not an issue these days, right? I mean, look, the, the car I was driving, it even automatically dipped the lights and put, put them on dip and then put it on full. I mean, you know, we, we are saturated with light these days. But the challenge is, is in the light, there is this, when the lights go out, there's still this darkness. And we live in a society, I believe, that's turned its back on these judo uh, Judeo-Christian values. Um, we've erased the boundaries and the perimeters set up for a biblical worldview. Um, John 1 verse 4 to 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You know, let, let's not be these people that God's light shines and we don't comprehend it.
I put down this note, don't be blindly satisfied with the imitation of temporary light. Look, you can fill your life with a lot of things, but nothing compares to the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. When he stood up and said, behold, I am the light of the world. When he said that, that those words have just echoed down through the corridors of, of time. Anyone that hears that word, I believe, will sense there's something of truth in that. Will sense that there's something of God in that statement. Because no one else can stand up and say, I am the light of the world. Yeah, that's why he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He was and he is and he is to come. You know, your problems may be here, here or here, but he's through it all. And he's got it all under control. If you just let God shine his light into your situation, he will give you breakthrough. He will give you victory. And guess what? Even if you pass on through to the other side, you're just going to walk straight out and leave your body behind, my friend. You know, there's, there's no failure in the kingdom. You know, people are so caught up about a lot of things at the moment. And I just say to people, well, hey, whatever happens, we're going to die or something. The critical thing is to be known where you're going, when you're going to die. And that may sound a negative thing, but it's not a negative thing. It's actually a confidence in the I am, the light of the world, the one that's given us hope and light and destiny. And just in closing, I want to say one more thing. I know I've said that before, and I tend to stretch things out. Ants is laughing in the back. I can see him. See, he's, he's cut, cut, cut it, mate, cut it. No, he's not, he's not. Look, finally, light is defined as life in the Bible. In John 1.4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. There's a synergy between life and light in the Bible. And if we can embrace that I am the light of the world, what, you're, what he's truly saying there is I am life. I am the fullness of life. If you want life, you need my light in your situation.